Hello, everyone. Happy New Year, and welcome to the PPC Show, brought to you by AdStage. I am Paul Wicker, and today is January 3rd. These are your top headlines, but I am joined by special guest, Emma from Hannapin Marketing. Emma, can you say hello to the good people and maybe tell us what the heck Hannapin is? Hey, friends. I'm Emma Franks. I am a senior paid social account manager at Hannapin Marketing, which is a a digital marketing agency that specializes in PPC. So we are big fans of the show and happy to be joining you again. That is great. JD is a former Hannapin person as well, and uh, the folks over at Hannapin are great. If you don't know them, head over to their blog. Uh, I think me and you are actually doing... Uh, we did a podcast on trends in 2019, maybe or predictions or something like that, but we're doing like an AMA. Oh, you have like a Slack channel. Um, is that open for any marketer to join? Uh, I believe it is. So there should be a link uh, and we'll post this in the show notes um, so you can go there and sign up. It'll actually be kind of a rebroadcast of a cross-channel marketing webinar that Paul and I did. Uh, and then he and I are scheduled to be kind of on standby to answer questions and, and get feedback, hopefully positive feedback. Uh, and we'll, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I think that's later in January. And the Slack channel is very cool. I joined it, um, and there were some questions about TikTok. There were some questions about Data Studio. I was chiming in. Uh, I didn't nice. do any ad stage selling. So I all, somebody said they bought Supermetrics. I was very supportive. I didn't even mention that we have a very affordable alternative to Supermetrics. <laughs> so uh, so check out Hannapin. Maybe check out their Slack channel. Uh, and thank you very much for, for hopping in for this first episode of 2020. So let's hop right into the headlines with Twitter. So Twitter is in the news for a bug. This was uh, in December, where apparently some security researcher uploaded 17 million phone numbers to Twitter. And if you do that, it will actually give you like the username or the Twitter handle for the person with that phone number. So they were able to get like these really high profile folks who are on Twitter, uh, figure out who they were. Basically, you just like take the phone number of someone high profile, you put it in Twitter via uh, the API like an Android API or something that the Android app uses, and you can get back the the profile. So, whoops, not good on Twitter's front. And this was after a few other security lapses they had earlier in the year. Um, They had given out location data to a partner, even though the user opted out. Uh, In August of last year, they gave ad partners more data than they were supposed to. And just last month, well, I guess two months ago, um, the, the numbers used, this one's really great. The numbers used for two-factor authentication, you know, when you log in, it says, we're going to message you a code. That's two-factor authentication. Uh, Twitter was using that for ad targeting, which, you know, they didn't disclose they were using and people were, were upset. So a lot of security stuff over at Twitter, but I don't know, does anyone care? Like Twitter keeps doing this, but like, do you, did you stop using Twitter because of all these like violations? I think that it's a vulnerability that the ad tech platforms should be addressing. And if they're not addressing it or not talking about it, then that's something that maybe the media should start to press them on uh, because there is so much around you know, data security and all of that uh, in the space, the issues that we've had. I think the mass population at some point is going to get tired of all the quote-unquote scandals uh, and start to press back and say like no really you need to be disclosing what you're doing with our data and why you're requiring us to give it to you well i think people are lazy and don't care i, I just can't see anyone stopping to use twitter because of breaches although 
hope i mean i say that i haven't stopped using twitter either as an advertising platform or as a user so and i'm you know i'm pretty woke in the ways of uh, ad tech marketing but um i also think it's not it's not talked about like i didn't even see this news article until you know doing this podcast so i don't think that particularly in the case of twitter and some of the the smaller platforms i don't think it's talked about uh, i think facebook is really the only one that's consistently in the news for things like this right that's a great point, and that's why we have the hard-hitting news here on the PPC show, to keep you informed. That's right. Um, it's also why there's a lot of privacy uh, and consumer protection acts. So the next story is actually um, the rollout of the California Consumer Protection Act. So if you're not living in California, you might not know that California has basically its own version of GDPR, uh, which was what Europe rolled out last year, which was data protection for consumers in Europe. Um, a general data protection act, maybe that's what it stood for. Um, but a lot of platforms like AdStage had to go through a lot of work to make sure that we were compliant with GDPR because we have European clients. So the California stuff is pretty similar, um, but it's uh, more or less the uh, same principles, but for California. And there's a few different angles for this story. One is like, well, what's actually in the CCPA? And I can give you the quick rundown. But then the other angle is there's like some political wrangling over should this be a federal law? Because I think there's something like six states that all now have their own privacy act. I think Utah. I don't know if you know. Does Utah have one? I can't comment. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> don't want to say yes or no because I, I honestly don't know. No worries. Well, I thought you were going to be like, I can't comment because I'm on the team in the secret Utah government uh, writing it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm afraid I can't disclose my my information. Right. Well, I think I read they were one of the uh, the states that had. I think it was like Nevada, Utah, New York, a few others. Um, but that might be fake news. The important part is California does have one. It went into act, uh, into effectiveness yesterday or January first, two days ago. Uh, however, it's not enforceable till July first. So even though it's uh, now in place. It's not actually enforceable to July 1st. They still need to work out a bunch of stuff. Um, and it's kind of boring, so I won't like get into it too much. I'll just say it's, it's all the stuff. If you know GDPR, it's that same stuff. You need to be notified if they're collecting your data, how they're going to use it. You have the ability to opt out of them selling your data. Um, I forget if you can opt out entirely. I mean, in some cases, like you can't use products if you don't provide <laughs> information. So you can just opt out of them using the information to make money. They have to tell you how they make money if they sell it. And the definition of sale is very loose. So it doesn't have to be like for cash or for money. It can be like they're giving data for someone else to use for something else. Uh, so if that data is generating value for the company, they have to disclose how. Um, they have to disclose their privacy policy, which needs a bunch of things in it. And then lastly, the old, uh, what we often call the right to be forgotten. So if you notify them in a certain amount of time, I think it's 48 hours, they have to respond and then um, tell you what information they have about you. And then if you want to delete it, they could, they have to be able to completely delete it from their systems. So that's my summary from reading. I did a, I actually read the act. It's not too hard to read. It's not totally legal. Wow. So, yeah, that's what's in there. Um, and all the big tech platforms like Google and Facebook all put out announcements as they're ready for it. They've been working on it for two years. So everybody's like all set. So I think the biggest thing that stood out to me from kind of Hannapin's preparation uh, from CCPA is one, it's not just like if your business is located in California, but it's if you 
even do business in California, which unless you're like a super local mom and pop shop, you probably do. And if you're advertising online, you probably are affected. So definitely make sure that you're, you're gearing up uh, if it's not something that you've already looked into. Yeah, they are debating a lot of these terms. So like, what does sale mean? What is publicly available information? There's something about B2B. So like, this is a consumer protection act. So if a business is doing business with a business or B2B, like, is that data protected? And right now it's not. Uh, so there is the Attorney General for California just put out a, kind of some clarifications around some pieces, and it will probably evolve a bit. Also, that gets to the point of people saying, hey, can we get a federal standard? Because it would be ridiculous if we needed to do this for every single state, and they're all a little bit different, and this one's opt-out and opt-in, and, and which one, you know, supersedes the other. So uh, people are saying, hey, can we get a federal standard? But then there's folks specifically on the liberal side saying, we don't trust the federal government to actually do it right, so we'd rather use the California standard because the federal government will put out something way too soft. Uh, so there's various opinions, and I hear they're already working on version two of the California Consumer Protection Act because this one uh, doesn't go far enough for some folks. So so privacy, whether people are so freaking out and, right, and stopping their usage of Twitter, uh, folks are at least uh, taking some action on their behalf and trying to protect, the, protect your data. Um, and then I'm actually going to jump down a little bit because I think there's a few other things I'll just touch on related to this kind of um, protection of user experience or protection of data and privacy. Uh, Twitter has something called the Trust and Safety Team, sorry, Trust, Trust and Safety Council. And in 2016, it was established, had 40 people on it. The idea was to have them advise, the, advise Twitter on their uh, rules, products, programs, kind of like a you know, a way that they can get feedback from the community and also a bit of a scapegoat. Some people are like, we hate the rules. Be like, hey, you know, we had a committee of 40 people who represent you. Um, so that's been out for a few years and they've announced it's going well and they're going to improve it and now add uh, individual groups. So instead of just one group of 40, they're going to have groups focused on safety and online harassment, digital rights, child sexual exploitation, suicide prevention, mental health, uh, so these different categories will each have their own counsel to give guidance to Twitter, and they, they promise to have a more diverse set of people contribute. And I'm not entirely clear uh, why the original group isn't diverse and, and what that necessarily means, but that's what they said in, in their announcement. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting one, and I think it's, it's a step in the right direction and kind of, uh, like you mentioned, sort of being an advocate for the mass consumers that maybe are not requesting advocacy, uh, that we just kind of take what we're given and sort of being proactive on the part of Twitter to make sure that they are at least trying to do what's in the best interest of, of their community. And in another similar story, YouTube also was trying to kind of uh, attack some of the harassment issues on their platform. And to, to kind of segue off your point about, you know, these platforms are trying to make their, their ecosystem safer and less conducive to violence and harassment and toxicity. But they have, you know, a bunch of folks who either kind of go the free speech route of like, hey, you're taking away our free speech. This is just a form of censorship. And then uh, other folks who just get directly affected kind of they're even though they're not kind of doing these things, they claim that these protections kind of catch them. So, for example, with the YouTube story, they're really trying to get uh, a few things 
cleaned up on YouTube. So they used to ban threats. You can't threaten somebody on YouTube, but you used to be able to make implied threats. They said you can't do that anymore. You used to be able to insult someone maliciously as much as you want. Now you can't do that if those insults are based on protected attributes such as race, gender expression, sexual orientation. Um, and they go on to do a few other things, um, suspend channels more quickly, um, it comments, like be quicker to take down comments. And in their case, they're going to not just take them down, but if they're questionable, put them to the owner of the channel to kind of decide what to do with them. So all these things sound very logical and like, oh yeah, that's pretty obvious. Like, okay, if someone doesn't say I'm going to kill you, but they say like, it would be really crazy if you disappeared tomorrow. Like, that's probably a threat too. Um, but there's a lot of folks who are influencers in the YouTube community saying, you know, some of their content, which doesn't violate these, is being taken down because, you know, to do this enforcement, they're using bots and, and AI and they're taking down stuff which really isn't a threat or it really isn't inappropriate, but the bots don't understand the nuance. So whenever you try to do something good for the people, you end up pissing them off and they've started like some quit YouTube hashtag. It's not quit YouTube, it's something close. But so now they're trying to like rebel against YouTube. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's just like kind of fringe channels that really are just make a business out of threatening people and, and saying toxic crap, or if they're like legit people who just have things to say that maybe brush up against the policy. So I, I don't know. I, in my mind, it's the former. <laughs> but. Well, I think it's, it's probably a spectrum, right? So you're going to have a mix of, of both uh, people that, you know, that's kind of their, their thing is to, you know, scream about things or create drama and be upset and and there's others that are just really passionate and and maybe there's a particular issue um, that they care about but I think that it's I don't know for for me as a consumer right it's it's a step in the right direction I would prefer to be in an online community that feels safe and that <laughs> doesn't feel threatening but I'm also not the person that's going to be going to those channels and consuming that content so uh, I think there is probably a similar I don't know it feels very similar to like when Tumblr said that they weren't going to allow like sexually explicit uh, material or um, porn know, some people call it porn sensitive <laughs> yeah, adult content <laughs> right no more porn uh, on Tumblr and there was like a big a big scandal of, of that too is like you know what is who's tumblr to tell us what content we can produce or or consume and and some of it you know are like artists um whether it's like anime or or art and they're like i don't have a, a medium now to share my content uh, and i mean i think that that's definitely uh, a valid concern but it really comes down to you know as as a business entity you know as a social media platform how comfortable are you creating rules for your community and how users in your community are interacting with each other? Is it just like a Lord of the Flies or do we have some kind of regulation to make sure that, that we're treating each other well and making it a hospitable environment? Right. Yeah, and it's. I always wonder, is it just like a few people ruin it for everyone? So like, was it that, you know, when they got rid of porn, was it that 99% was truly porn and then the 1% was art? But those 1% people, sorry, you know, you are like victims of this change that wasn't really targeting you, but it was hard to solve the problem without you being a casualty. 
And I think that's what these, like, I even went to one of the channels on YouTube because I look for that hashtag. And I went to one trying to see, like, are these legit? And the person looked like a legit um, influencer type, you know, like have all their content is like trying to sell you crap. Mm-hmm. But like she wasn't mean or, you know, saying terrible things, but she's saying, oh, they took down these videos and, you know, it's like costing me money. Um, and I was thinking of like messaging her or commenting on her channel. And then I thought better of that because who tries to have a like real conversation on, on YouTube comments? <laughs> but to be like, well, do you think this would be a fair sacrifice to make if it meant that like thousands of, you know, harassing comments and threatening videos get taken down? Like if you lost one or two videos, which might be really impactful for, for you, but do you understand how maybe that's like better for the greater good or... Or is this just like what influencers do is they like, you know, make a big deal out of everything because that's what people want to get worked up over. But so I don't know. Um, And then uh, two other really quick ones. So Facebook introduced fact checking on Instagram. They're going to partner with 45 different organizations to rate the truthfulness of your photos and videos. And if it contains misinformation or untruthful content, they'll put a little uh, thumbnail over it, kind of like Twitter does with like this this tweet is contains sensitive material so they'll have something with an overlay and you have to click the overlay to see it and there's one other uh oh i think that's all the safety privacy things but it did lead me to tiktok because tiktok is like blowing up the last few days in terms of the the media about marketing because they're doing really well you know they were up to 1.5 billion users or at least app downloads at this point there's a whole debate over whether those are all paid for from paid search and social and are they real users and is it just going to fizzle there's a whole story about china and it's a you know it's owned by a company that is like part owned by the chinese government so does that mean you're basically giving access to the chinese government when you install tiktok on your phone putting those aside still a lot of people using it and now marketers of course want want a piece of the action and there's no self-service UI but people are starting to spend money on it and all the same complaints come out like no transparency no conversion tracking you know no UI Um, but it seems like TikTok is becoming a thing I'm bringing up now because we all, all these questions we're struggling with for YouTube and Twitter and you know these giants who have been in the space for years we have no idea how TikTok handles it Obviously, there was some talk about them taking down, you know, videos about Hong Kong protests because it's anti-Chinese. And then there was some gray area about did that even happen or is that fake news? But um, you, it wouldn't be hard to imagine that happens on TikTok. So I don't know how they're going to deal with all this stuff that Facebook and Twitter is dealing with. But in the meantime, marketers are trying to get on there and run some ads. Uh, I feel like all the news that I've been hearing about TikTok, it feels very similar to what happened with Snap. Uh, when they first started running ads, you know, it was like a direct buy and you had to be invested for so much and um, eventually coming out with the self-serve platform and coming out with the pixel and kind of making that that progress. So that's kind of my vision for where I think TikTok is headed uh, is eventually they'll just, you know, have enough interest in the marketing side to see the value of a self-serve platform. And uh, I think that they'll probably... I don't know what the pricing looks like from the direct buy standpoint right now, but I know that that was one of the issues that Snap faced was um, kind of the impact on the CPMs when they went from direct buy to self-serve and and whether it was worth it for for the advertisers. So I'm really interested to see, uh, you know, what happens. And I think anecdotally, I've been hearing more about TikTok. Uh, though I still have not downloaded it myself. So 
Yeah, I struggle with the same, uh, do I want the Chinese government on my phone? You know, I don't know. Okay, well, if you do download it, let me know how it is. (laughs) Let me know. It's the first time there's like a new search slash social platform that I have not used from like the day it launched. And it, it feels very strange. I might get a burner phone just to install TikTok. Um, Speaking of Snapchat, we have one quick story on Snapchat. Uh, This is not about privacy. They just launched a little feature, but uh, it's a good look at how how they really push the envelope in terms of new ad formats. So they rolled out a new ad format with their lens in partnership with Paramount Paramount Pictures for the release of the new Top Gun, which I'm sure is going to be excellent. Um, It's called Top Gun Maverick in 2020. It will be released. And now there's like a new interactive movie preview. Free promo right there. (laughs) Right. Top Gun Maverick brought to you by AdStage. Um, And you can watch the trailer on one side of the screen and react to it with your crazy facial expressions and all the Snapchat craziness you can do with your face on the other half. And that is like the the lens, the Snapchat lens. So they're, you know, getting creative. And I'm sure that cost a pretty penny in terms of promoting. So good job, Snapchat. Yeah, I think they're I think they're going to see a lot of engagement, I hope. I don't know if necessarily this single trailer, but if it if it kind of rolls out to more broad adoption, uh just reaction videos generally I think are pretty popular, uh especially in in certain communities, so definitely a lot of potential. Yeah, those those reaction videos, if you don't know, there's a whole world of people who just take videos of themselves reacting to other videos. And then you get reactions to the people reacting to those videos, and it's they get a little bit ridiculous. But yeah, that, <laughs> it is exactly what it sounds like. It's just someone watching a video and then reacting to it, usually falling out of their chair and screaming and cheering. And I don't understand how anyone And that's anyone how you get on TikTok. Those are fun. Right, and that's, that's right. Um, all right, a few other stories we have uh, for Facebook. They rolled out a few features. One of these, I think, is very useful. Um, the others, yeah, whatever. Um, for Instagram, you can now use their brand collaboration tool. Sorry, brand collabs tool, because they're very cool and, and millennial. So it's brand collabs. Um, and it used to only be available for Facebook creators. Now you can also select Instagram creators. And basically, as a brand, you go in. You put some demographic info and say, oh, yeah, I want to attract this audience. They recommend some creators, and then you can promote their content in the newsfeed. Um, so you kind of put your cash behind those creators. It's not necessarily like, hey, do a product promo for me. It's like uh, connect with people who are already have an audience that are already aligned and then somehow funnel them back to your, <laughs> your brand. So now you can do it for Instagram. Yeah, and just kind of you know, building out more parity between the two platforms, I think is, it's inevitable. Right. Because now it's Instagram by Facebook. And they had that big rebranding move at the end of last year where they ended by Facebook at the end of all their products for no particular reason. By Facebook in all caps. All caps, Facebook. It's like a totally different company. Um, It's it's truly one of those like marketing, it's like mind blowing. How much money did they spend on consultants to come in and be like, we want to rebrand the company. And everyone's like, oh my God, what is it going to be? And they come back and they're like, all caps. And people are like, okay. How much did we pay them? 30 million for a brand exercise to just make our brand all caps. Uh, two other Facebook ones, um, auto accept. One... Oh, yes, tell us. Sorry, uh, this is not on the list, so we'll have to add it. But um, 
just as you were talking about kind of the Instagram uh, influencers and and partnering, it reminded me tangentially, not super related, but about Twitter uh, allowing like the business accounts to set restrictions on who can follow them. So like if you're, you know, an alcoholic beverage, you can say, I don't want anyone under the age of 21 to be allowed to follow my brand. Um, and I think there's some other, there might be like geo restrictions or some other things that you can add there. Uh, but just kind of another way to, I don't know, interesting that they're allowing more, I don't know, exclusivity, I guess, when it comes to your organic following, which I don't I don't feel like we've ever seen before. Yeah, I wonder if it's related to more privacy and restrictions where, like, you can't market to under 18 for cigarettes or, or under 21. They changed the uh, tobacco limit from 18 to 21. Didn't they just do that? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, we do marketing <laughs> Maybe just news. in California. <laughs> right. Maybe, I could have sworn I saw somewhere that it's, you now have to be 21 to buy tobacco. I bet if, we're ni- if we were 19, we'd be freaking out. Um, <laughs> Okay, so the other Facebook feature was uh, auto-accept for Facebook groups. So if you've ever been an admin for a Facebook group, this is huge for you because if somebody wants to join a group, you know, you can ask them to fill some stuff out, ask some questions, and you have to approve. And not that I've had this problem, but if you have a popular group on Facebook, you could have a lot of people waiting. Uh, Facebook rolled out a new kind of auto-accept feature, so you can just plug in some criteria. If they meet these criteria, just go ahead and let them in. Don't wait for me to manually approve. So that... Uh, that should save a lot of admins time. That's nothing to do with ads, but I thought it was a good feature. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think a lot of, I mean, I think a lot of the groups, like the only reason that they're using questions in the first place is just to prevent like bots or spam or whatever. Uh, so I think, you know, this is a great way to kind of expedite that. Even if it's just like, have you read the rules and agree to the rules? Yes. Okay. You're in. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's like there's no group I've ever applied to on Facebook or LinkedIn where they're like, no. <laughs> they all want members sorry, so badly. we don't want your presence. Yeah, they're like, nope, nope, we don't want you in our group. Um, I guess there was, maybe in college, when Facebook first came out, there were there were some like, it was almost like text message threads these days where there's like threads with your friends and then there's like sub-threads and there's a lot of which thread are you on. So in that case, in Facebook yeah. groups, I do remember there was some, um, don't let don't let this person in here. Um, so now well, you and when Facebook it. first started, you had to like know somebody that was already on Facebook. Right? Oh, early you days. You had to like yeah. have a friend that verified you. Right, that's like the yeah. old old school Facebook. Um, yeah, that makes me sound a lot older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Did you use Facebook in college? Uh, yeah, I actually had Facebook in high school wow. when it first came out. Wow, you're yeah, because my well, my sister was in college, so she she got me in. <laughs> oh, she got you in the Facebook. Yeah, I, I bet young yeah. people don't even you know the young people don't even know that Facebooks were literally things at colleges. You would get a book <laughs> that had pictures of all the people in your freshman class because you didn't know them, and it was like often called like a Facebook or a something, but it was like. That was a thing, a printed thing that people would get. And so Facebook was kind of an extension of that, which is crazy. Although Zuckerberg has rewritten the history, even though Facebook became an extension of that, it originally was kind of like a hot or not thing. Uh, if you ever watch the movie Social yeah. Network, which if you listen to this and you haven't seen the movie Social Network, hit pause and go queue it up on Netflix because it's a great 
But you learn yeah, that seriously. Zach was just in the dorm, like, oh, I'm it hot or not. And you could look at pictures of girls. And then it evolved into Facebook eventually. But he's rewritten history. So now he created Facebook not to evaluate the attractiveness of women, but instead to help connect people and have meaningful connections in their lives or some crap like that. So anyway, I digress. Last story. <laughs> yeah. Sprinkler. Right. What do you want to say about this? Well, I mean, also, if you're an ad tech nerd, you know Sprinkler and Nanigans. Well, they're now the same. So Sprinkler supposedly is going to go public uh, and file for an IPO. In order to do that, I, I don't know why this happens, but companies, before they go public, they start acquiring companies. I don't know if it's so their books show revenue growth because they acquire those companies and, like, grab their revenue, or if it's to make them bigger. Like, I don't know why. I should go figure that out because it's very common. So as part of IPO preparation, Sprinkler has been buying up companies. It just bought its 12th company, which was uh, Nanigan's performance advertising business. So I don't know what part of Nanigan's is left. I originally thought it was all of Nanigan's, but apparently there's some piece of Nanigan's that didn't get bought. Um, but now Sprinkler is going to absorb all their business, and you can't, can't go buy Sprinkler anymore. It's, uh, or sorry, you can't go buy Nanigan's anymore. You'll, you'll buy it through sprinkler and that story was interesting but the part i wanted your perspective on is that the ceo had mentioned that you know part of what um, sprinkler is trying to do is bring together all these different kind of marketing systems into one like uber platform so you can just use one thing which is kind of the opposite that the market's been doing where there's like thousands of marketing tools so you know at hannapin you guys must use a hundred tools i mean do you do you see a consolidation coming do you feel it happening over there I think if if it's good, <laughs> it would be great. Um, I think that that's really the challenge that that we faced is like finding a tool that works well for all of the different platforms. But if you could, you know, if you can do it well, that it's absolutely gonna be an easier sell to say, let me have one platform that lets me manage all of my channels versus seven different platforms that are specific to each of these these channels um i i mean i haven't worked with sprinkler or nanigan so i don't know you know how good either, <laughs> either of them are right i did think it was interesting that they said they're essentially gonna take all of the tech and rebuild it within sprinkler like rather than adapting uh, the existing code and I'm not an engineer so I can't even speak <laughs> eloquently about this but so they're basically gonna take uh, all of the learnings that they've had from running uh, over the last I think it's said 10 years or something uh, and rebuild that you know with all of the what I wish I would have done kind of thing right yeah I mean at stage you know, because of my position here in product, I have, I'm intimately familiar with these things. And I think, yeah, realistically, rarely do acquisitions work where they just like take the product and then integrate it. Either they run it standalone because it's a good product and it has customers or they sunset it and introduce their own version. But it's kind of weird to do that because you could, you know, at any point, Nanigans or a sprinkler could have rebuilt the Nanigans tech. So it's you didn't need to acquire them to build these like five features, but you, they do want their customer base and their revenue and the learnings, you know, like it will be now sprinklers second time building a lot of these features, which means they'll be smarter about how they build them. And they'll also kill a ton of features, which probably, you know, they don't need. So 
But it is interesting where, like, you know, the market consolidates, then uh, breaks breaks apart, consolidates, breaks apart. And you always have this problem. In the old days, you had, like, Adobe, you know, own, if you, you were on Adobe products for everything, and Microsoft and Oracle and SAP. And then it, like, did the opposite where, okay, now I'm going to use, like, Salesforce for this and Intercom for that and Mode and for this and Mixed Panel. So if you want to run a business now, you have to use... I mean, at AdSage, we probably use 30 different tools, and we're like a small 30-person company. Um, but I wouldn't want to use, like, we, you know, we use HubSpot for, like, a bunch of stuff in the content blog posting space. But even that sometimes feels like trade-offs, and that's just one little piece. So I think the CEO here is trying to pitch this, hey, if we bring it all together, it'll be great. HubSpot's trying to do that. Uh, Intercom's trying to do that from the CRM spot. And ads are a weird thing that don't they don't fit into content they don't fit into like crm and back end but everybody's trying to fight to get ads included in like their stack but i in this day and age with like oh you can spin up a startup and build an amazing creative product in like six months i don't see people saying yeah i don't want to use this like best in class really creative solution i want to use like this three-year-old feature of sprinkler that they haven't updated like and i'm not picking on sprinkler i think it's interesting too kind of the approach of M&A as a way to mitigate or reduce competition like you were saying like rather than just duplicating the feature like we're just going to buy you and then we don't have to worry about about trying to come up against your existing product yeah we'll see how that how that plays out in the tech field but well we covered it all. We covered privacy issues. We covered feature updates. We did a little acquisition in the marketing space. So this was a very uh, wide-reaching episode. If you want more headlines, you could always head over to blog.adsage.io, sign up for a newsletter, and just get some headlines in your inbox. And if you want more episodes of us, you can go over to Spotify. I'm promoting Spotify now. We moved podcasting things over to Spotify, more so than SoundCloud. So go to Spotify, look us up and enjoy some more episodes. Have a great week. Thanks. You need some like cool sign off thing to say, like, this is Emma and I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm taking off. That's well, my... You're literally taking off. I'm a pun, yeah. Figuratively taking off. That's impressive.